0: This is episode number 296 with Dallas Tanner of the Founder Podcast.
1: What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty
0: human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now, 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 the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. What's going on, Founder fam? Hope you are doing okay. Your family is safe. You're in good health, you and your family, and I hope you're doing okay. You're probably in lockdown, and you're probably, maybe you're going through all sorts of things. And I just wanted to share, at Founder, our mission hasn't changed. We're here to help you start or grow your business, and we're putting out so much content to help and serve you however we can during this difficult time. So, let's talk about today's guest. One thing I will just put a bit of a caveat at with is, uh, you know, while we are putting out so much content around this current climate, um, you know, we still had a commitment of, you know, four to six months worth of podcast episodes where, you know, I've, I recorded this particular interview over four months ago. So while we try we're trying to mesh in and mix in a lot of new episodes that are really, really relevant on what is currently happening right now, we have to still maintain that commitment to our previous guest that I've interviewed four months ago, but it hasn't gone live. So let's talk about Dallas Tanner. He's the co-founder and president of Invitation Homes. So I talk with him around the business model, how they scaled that particular company and purchased over 30,000 homes in 18 months. Um, Why, you know, around numbers is really, really important and crunching those numbers. It's a critical part of the company's success and also the road to growing a multi-billion dollar company and going public. And uh, yeah, we really go deep on systems. Uh, I think systems are really important at this current economic time period. Execution is everything. You need to have your systems in place. Right now, that might not be the case for you. However, we are working very, very hard to help solve everything that you've got going on and provide as much advice and support as we can if you haven't listened yet as well make sure you check out the episode that i did with steve mcleod one of my mentors and business coaches who is really really good at this stuff he's got his own business and he's done very very well with that business and yeah he's been happy to kind of come on and share everything that he's doing and that you should be doing. So make sure you check out the previous episode or check out our YouTube channel. We're working on producing a lot of interviews while I'm in lockdown to help support you guys. All right, guys, I hope you and your family stay safe and healthy. We're going to put out tons more content to help you however we can. Now let's jump with the show. The first question I ask everyone that comes on is uh, how did you get your job? I also wonder
1: sometimes, it's, uh, it's a great story. We started the business uh, of Invitation Homes seven years ago. Um, my background's always been in, in uh, residential companies and, and residential platform building. Um, so I had a long background in residential and, and property management, but we saw a need for professional housing uh, in the US. And it was at a moment in time in, in 2009, excuse me, 2000, yeah 2009, we started buying single family homes but then we formed Invitation Homes in the spring of 2012. And so we just, we saw a need that had been met, you know, in, in large scale through a lot of the mom and pops uh, investors in the U.S., and nobody ever done it with real scale and in institutional management. So we, we aligned with really good capital partners and figured out uh, how to build this company. And I don't think we set out to be necessarily private or public or this, that, and the other. We just wanted to build a great company. And Today we've ended up uh, being, you know, going public in, in 2017, and and I was one of the co-founders that that started the business and are uh, running the business today.
0: Yeah, I see. So, um, before Invitation Homes, you started Treehouse Group companies. What exactly is that? Yes, yeah, so the Treehouse
1: Group was really um, our thesis for Invitation Homes. We focused in a lot of workforce housing. Uh, opportunities in the Southwest, uh, primarily manufactured housing and some multifamily. And then, you know, our country went through a really rough time 2008-9 uh, with housing and housing prices generally. And so um, in, in 2009, we started investing capital, uh, buying single-family homes for rent. And so that was all done under the Treehouse Communities flag. Um, and then, uh, you know, fast forward a couple of years, we built a pretty good business, had you know, three thousand customers paying us rent uh, in the Phoenix, Arizona market, and um, we ended up connecting with uh, uh, Blackstone as a as our capital partner going forward, and 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 wanted to build out a much robust, much more robust version of of what we'd started in Phoenix with uh, Invitation Homes, and so that's what Treehouse was really the you know the, the the early days of entrepreneurial residential platform building for us.
0: Yeah, I see. So. Um, you guys have now eighty thousand homes for lease across the country um and is that why you guys decided to go public to raise more money to to purchase more more homes
1: well ultimately the the type of capital we'd use to build up invitation homes uh wasn't you know perpetual capital it had kind of a shelf life to it so one way to create liquidity for Investors and also to create awareness of, of of the business was through a public exit. So we did that in 2017. Um, we only at the time had 50,000 homes. It was still a pretty big company. Uh, and then after we took the company public in 17, and and we we ended up uh, completing a merger with uh, a company called uh, Colony Starwood. And so that took us from say 50 to just under 80,000 homes. And so you know with scale and with with all the logistics that can go with having the right, um, footprint and and scale and density, you can offer premium service. And so our, our focus is making sure that our residents have not only great real estate to, to lead to live in or to lease lease with, but that they have a best in class experience. And so, um, the scale and the growth has allowed us to really do that as a business.
0: Yeah, I see. And, um, Because I'm not in America, um, I assume you guys do a lot of advertising and campaigns and stuff. Um, Can you tell me, like, what is the strongest unique selling proposition that you guys have compared to, I guess, people just renting off a a landlord directly?
1: Well, I think, you know, and this was really the thesis of why we wanted to build a business like this is it it happened in, in the U.S. with the apartment industry in the 70s and 80s. You saw some of these bigger operators form or, or form through different ventures, and they were able, because of their scale, to provide, you know, a suite of service that could be unmatched. And, and that's what's led to some of the fantastic companies in the apartment space today. And in single family, it's it's kind of the same story except just happening a few decades later. There's always been people in the US that have leased from individual landlords, to your point. I think what we've what we figured out early on in Phoenix was. If you had enough scale, you could invest the right amount of capital into your infrastructure and create, you know, 24-hour customer care and, and you know, easy uh, onboarding, uh, moving in and moving out and all the things that come with the pains and hassles of always moving, right? How do you get into a good school district uh, in a single family home without buying one in today's market? It's hard. And so if you can offer a leasing lifestyle to people, you know, funny enough, a lot of people would prefer that uh, being down payment light and 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 being for, more focused on just the quality of the housing experience. And so for us, we knew that the market was there because it's existed forever in the U.S. and 15 million people lease something uh, in terms of a single family home today. Just nobody had done it with the right kind of scale. And just like in any business, sometimes it's really hard when you're getting going right with with when you just have you know three or four or five or six homes. But when you get to Hundreds of homes in a market, your opportunities and the types of uh, experiences and services you can provide your resident can get greatly enhanced because of your economies of scale.
0: Yeah, I see that makes sense. So yeah, basically, with the scale that you guys have, you essentially have shared services um, across all the different pro- uh, properties.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and you know when you when you not that there's anything wrong with leasing from a an individual landlord or or something like that, but it's just a little bit different. I mean, we have, you know, vans with maintenance techs that can be at your house, you know, in any period if there was ever an issue. Um, You know, your economies of scale give you really strategic advantage in terms of the services you can provide and for the predictability of the experience, right? It's hard when you're just managing one-off.
0: Yeah, no, it's a really interesting model. So talk to me, um, like, your first because uh, yeah 80,000 homes is a lot um if we could talk go back to the early days like what was your first home and did you fund it did you and your co-founder self-fund it um how did that work well
1: my first home that i ever purchased was in college i actually did it with my dad and i managed uh, a couple of homes uh and some of them that i lived in while i was going to school and so i got the bug for property management and and, you know, investing in real estate at a pretty early age. Um, and and then as we, you know, progressed and started building up and buying a few more properties here or there, you know, you certainly deal with the same challenges of any startup, right? Do you have enough capital? How do you manage it? You can't, you can't afford to hire too much staff, you know, in the beginning. Um, but we started to kind of fine tune that uh, over time. And with the 80,000 home company Invitation Homes, we were fortunate that we kind of already had learned some of from our earliest, you know, mistakes and things uh, in Phoenix, and so we knew what kind of business we wanted to build, but we built it at such phonetic scale and pace uh, to to make sure that we could you know put you know systems processes and, and people in place to to create that experience it's very difficult um, we We bought uh, you know our first eight uh, 30,000 homes in the first eighteen months and just building the systems and and the mechanics for being able to do that and to you know refurbish that many properties in that period of time and then to lease that many properties in that period of time, and then offer really good service—you know—it's challenging. So it takes teams and partners, and and a lot of uh, really dedicated folks who who have been part of the journey with us for sure.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. So when I said like, what it you like around your first home was that the one that you bought in college, and then you've 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 held on to that, and that was a part of the Invitation Homes portfolio.
1: No, I sold that home long before. So the first home that we bought at in the Invitation Homes portfolio was in the spring of 2012. Um, but but we had you know certainly cut our teeth uh, in Phoenix prior to that through some of the different uh, residential platforms that we had we worked on. But with Invitation Homes, we just had this unique moment in time, very unique capital partner, and a shared vision for what we wanted to try to achieve, which was how do you take a business that's always been run by really individual landlords in the U.S. and build something of scale that could you know, transform the way people think about leasing a single-family home. Because there's a lot of folks that want to live in a single-family home that, quite frankly, can't afford it or need some sort of a transition period right, in between uh, maybe a new city or, or a move or a new job or, or a life change. And so um, between that, between all the fundamentals around U.S. housing and the demographics that are coming our way, we're really bullish on the opportunity. Uh, and so as we, as we started buying these homes, we just wanted to make sure that we not only bought great quality assets, but that we built quality service around it.
0: Yeah, I see. So when you launched you, when you launched and bought, you know, purchased 30,000 homes in 18 months, you you had financial backing to do that. It wasn't a slow buildup.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and we had excellent capital partners, uh, here in the U S, uh, that, that, that They had the same vision we did about that we were going to have to, you know, build this thing methodically one by one. I think in our first 50,000 homes, 95% of our homes were bought one by one. It wasn't in some big, you know, transaction or or this, that, and the other. Yeah, literally one by one. Wow. Which also allows you to, you know, be particular about the type of brand you want to build, right, Mm. in the business.
0: Yeah, so talk to me around... I guess, what do you guys look for when you, because if you're buying one by one, there's a certain kind of, yeah, consistency. What exactly are you looking for? What are the, what are the, I guess, the parameters?
1: Yeah, I'm, you know, generally speaking, we want to be, with our business, we want to be much more infill, uh, higher barrier to entry, you know, locations and markets and sub-markets, really focused on making sure that we buy, you know, high quality stuff near really good transportation corridors uh, good schools and and uh, most importantly importantly uh you know along the lines of where the employment and the rooftops are forming right and making sure that that you're 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 in a, a part of the market that's going to have insulated demand and so for us as we've continued to you know refine and, and and hold up you know rank ourselves and rank our assets and and find ways to to deliver you know exceptional service you get better right over time and distance so uh, typical home in our portfolio today is probably three bedrooms, two bath, maybe somewhere around seventeen, eighteen hundred square feet, um, and will lease for somewhere around maybe eighteen hundred dollars a month, and so that's 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 pretty typical. And it would probably be in and around you know the the major city that we're that we're active in, but would have really good proximity to schools and, and, and good retail and everything else.
0: Yeah, I see. And um, do these places have? good capital growth or they're more kind of for the yield
1: it's a a balance we're total return investors so we want to try to find to your point really good yield but then we also want to make sure that we're buying assets that we believe are going to have you know really good fundamentals behind it in terms of how it appreciates over time so that's the general thesis right you want you want both uh and and what's nice you know if you think about u.s housing it's probably one of the most liquid asset classes in the world so just as easily as we buy a home one by one we can also sell a home back into the marketplace really at any given point in time uh, because of the individual nature of, of U.S. housing. So it, it's a unique business, unique hedge, um, and you have an opportunity to go in and out of markets, you know, as, as you, you know, see fit or where the opportunity is.
0: Yeah. So if you guys started um, effectively seven years ago, you guys would have had tremendous capital growth. Especially in the first thirty thousand in eighteen months, um, have you? So have you guys been selling? Uh, so it sounds like you have. You have. You do sell off as well some of your assets.
1: Yeah, a little bit here and there. I mean, sometimes uh, we actually sell to our residents. So if we make a decision to sell a home, we will go to our resident first. It's, that's actually what the program's called. It's called Resident First Look, and we'll ask them if, if they you know want to own the home they're in. If if in the event that uh, they decide not to renew the lease and. And we've had you know over I think 150 clients take advantage of that. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, we're always looking at the bottom, you know, five to 10 percent of our portfolio, and and looking for better ways to return, uh, you know, capital to investors. And so if, if if homes are not performing for a variety of reasons, we will we'll then you know sell homes uh, to other investors or to back into the, the public marketplace and 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 reinvest that capital in the parts of the market that we have conviction in.
0: Mm. When you said not performing what in what way you not the yield you're looking for or or not the capital growth or what
1: could be a little bit of both i mean sometimes you could be selling a home quite frankly because maybe it becomes too valuable and it's better off being sold back into the end user market right and um, sometimes you you may you know see some risk around a particular area or sub market something you don't love from a fundamentals perspective um, and you may think that there's better risk adjusted return elsewhere so It can be a variety of factors, um, not not all negative, quite frankly. Sometimes uh, an asset's worth more in the end-user market than it is in the investor market. And so you're better off, when that lease comes up and and doesn't renew, putting it back uh, into the end-user market. Uh, And then you can recycle back into parts of the market that maybe are a little bit better uh, from a return perspective.
0: Yeah, okay, that makes sense. So with 80,000 homes at that scale, kind of making those kind of decisions like what kind of hierarchy do you have to make like like would you make a decision on yes let's sell that one individual home or do you have a framework or or a formula that is spread across the 80,000 to make quick decisions how does that work
1: yeah it's a blend I mean you we look at we look at we have a whole team that this is all they do right we've we're high touch in terms of the way that we invest uh capital or, or how we sell homes. And we have local offices in every market that we're in that are on the ground really running the business day to day. And so we have, you know, these regional investment committees that look at, you know, the parameters and they certainly have, you know, parameters from us in terms of the types of, uh, you know, return profiles we want to look at. But um, it happens daily in our business. We look at you know how homes have, are behaving over time and over distance and, and 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 then you know weigh out all the factors. There's a lot of data that goes into our business, as you can imagine. Uh, today, our resident stays with us for almost three years on average, and so you learn a lot about your customers over that period of time. You learn a lot about your assets, and you figure out ways that you can offer you know better service and better um, opportunities to the residents over time and distance. Because ultimately, you know we're not any good if our residents aren't happy, right, with the service. And so. For us, you know, with an average length of stay of nearly three years, I think our team is doing an excellent job, but it's just how do we enhance that? And, and then those types of decisions all feed into, you know, which assets you want to hold long term and which ones maybe are, you know, non-core, not going to stay in your portfolio forever. And just like any good asset manager, you, you make those decisions real time as you're, as you're looking at the business.
0: Yeah, I see. And um, talk to me around systems because that kind of scale, 30,000 homes in 18 months, even with... Uh, the capital behind you, the pure organization of just like managing teams across teams. That's incredible. Like, I'd love to delve a little deeper on that. Like, like what is your, what did did you have a framework for developing these systems or how does it work? Talk us through like when you, you know, you had that vision, you you and your team, how, how operationally, how the hell did you operationalize like that? Uh, that's at that kind of scale because that's impressive
1: it's a great question and it we have all the challenges of um you know a big real estate company but we have a lot of logistics to your point right and so as, as we think about our business we we've gotten more and more efficient uh, in year seven but we certainly are focused on what are the types of things that can as i mentioned earlier Deliver a really good experience, but make us as optimized as possible. And the technologies and things are getting much better too that, that we're able to incorporate into our business. So I'll give you a couple of examples. You know, the first would be like, how do we communicate between, uh, you know, the resident and our team, right? And a lot of our residents we never hear from, except we have a system called ProCare where we're in the home every six months, regardless, just making sure that we check on the mechanical systems and the processes. This is delivered by over You know, 300 technicians and superintendents that we have in our business across our 17 markets, that all they do is routine maintenance and inspections, right? So they're in and out of a home no matter what, whether we get a call or not, every six months to just look and make sure that the resident's having a great experience. Then you have things like, well, how do you, you know, how do you um, collect rent 80,000 times a month, right? Well, we create, you know, we create really good accounting systems and, and user interface to where, you know, over 80% of our customers, I think today, are are automatically paying online uh, through auto-draft or ACH service. And they sign up for that at the point of lease. The others have other opportunities. They can go into mobile payment centers. They can, you know, send it over via credit card or whatever they want to do. But we make it very easy for the resident in terms of how to pay. And then we also try to make the experience really unique in terms of if there's ever an issue. And so the logistics of managing all of that uh, really happens locally because we want to be high touch, and 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 I'll give you an example of that. Um, in a market like Atlanta, Georgia, you know we have over 12,000 homes in our portfolio today, and that will be managed by a team of probably roughly 80 people locally, right? And not including some of our field folks that are in and out of properties doing inspections and 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 and, and low maintenance orders. Um, And so for us, that team has to be really efficient. So we use CRMs, we use, you know, all sorts of data and communication tools so that uh, a pod, as we call it, like a team of property managers typically manage about 2,500 homes. So in that market, we'll have roughly five pods, five teams that look at things from a geographic perspective. And they, they become absolute experts in terms of the geographies and the homes in their, you know, call it their smaller books or their smaller portfolios. That they manage and each of those pods has a leader with a couple of assistants and then many you know a few folks on the team that also help through with all the scheduling and accounting and and things like that so when you break it down it gets quite efficient uh, but you got to have the right scale and and it's you know it takes um, a leader that leads those teams to really uh, create cohesion and make sure that everybody understands the mission of the business which is together with you we make a house a home and so it's not just a business. As long as you keep the resident first in your mind, then you know, your focus tends to follow. And so that's been key for us in terms of building a culture and making sure that everybody understood at the end of the day what we're trying to
0: achieve. So when you talk about pods, how many in a pod?
1: Yeah, typically about a dozen, probably anywhere from 10 to 15, depending on the market. And then each of those people will have somewhere between you know three to five maintenance techs full time that are working with them. And so, and then we keep getting better. We keep finding ways to get more efficient. And you know, we have stock vans that travel around the country that, you know, can do a lot of the the, the smaller you know, maintenance and handyman work. And then for bigger jobs, you know, like if somebody's got to get on a roof or, or do an HVAC unit or something like that, we outsource with national partners to help us with some of that stuff.
0: Hmm. And when it came to kind of like setting up these systems, what what was the framework to, to create a system how did you work that out
1: well fortunately we had uh, pretty good partners on the accounting side that have been doing this in multifamily and other industries like ours for a long time so some of the base systems there but as you can imagine you know really getting in the weeds you got to create you know you know journal uh, journal entry codes and GL lines and different things that, that that ultimately you know create the different line items in your business and then from an internal communication perspective and reporting perspective, we had to make sure that we had a really good CRM. Right. And so we've been on, you know, companies like Salesforce for a long time where we can, you know, fine tune and refine some of those systems to fit the needs of our business. And so the communication, the IT, staying involved with, you know, technology advancement, route, route optimization, for example, with our maintenance techs, how do we get more efficient in scheduling maintenance visits and, and, and some of those things that all that data is really important. And so we're now starting to use machine learning that's telling us, you know, for example, which which maintenance tech is better at appliances versus plumbing. Right. Mm. And some of that stuff is really helpful because you can put people in a position to be successful with what, you know, maybe their best best at, Right.
0: Mm.
1: And start to fine tune kind of approach and which creates greater efficiencies, which should enhance experience and, you know, ultimately fall down to your bottom line as a business. And so for us, we want to keep getting smarter. So every year we get, you know, 15, 20, 25% smarter in a certain area, right? Uh, based on the amount of data that's starting to come into the business. We're learning a lot.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So um, one thing that I find interesting is um, a lot of, uh, you know, like a lot of our audience, uh, are early stage startup founders and and, you know, their businesses are maturing and they start to build a team. And they start to get traction. So it's not about, you know, is my hypothesis for this business, um, is there a market need? There's a market need and they have customers, but they might have team. Uh, they would have a team and, and things get messy. Um, you know, it, it's one-to-one. It's There's no systems. There's no documentation how to do anything. There's no internal uh, Wikipedia if people need to find things um, there's no there's no playbooks so to do anything I'm just curious what would your advice be for people in that position because sounds like you're a pretty strong guy around the operations side
1: well I, look I've had I've been fortunate that I had a lot of great people we, as we were building the business we had a lot of you know employees partners people that understood the vision and I think you know, the first thing first, you've gotta make sure that you align yourself with with a few, you know, good people, right, in your organization and make sure that you've got, you know, people that are willing to carry the flag, so to speak. Um, and that helps. And then yeah, I think, you know, also strategically you've gotta be willing to, you know, also understand that you don't have the answer to everything yourself. And you've gotta do a little um R and D from time to time and, and be inquisitive and challenge yourself as you develop systems and processes and people and and not be afraid of being wrong, right? Because you learn a lot through trial and error. Um, But I I do think that as you're building operating companies specifically, the way data and the way data management is going in the world, you've got to early on figure out a way how to capture some of that data early, because some of your earliest findings will be really influential, influential, excuse me, uh, in the decisions you make, you know, in year two and three right? Mm. In terms of best practices and things, it doesn't matter really what the business is. But if you're not capturing that data from an early stage in any startup, then, you know, you're you're kind of, you know, playing with one arm behind your back, so to speak, right? And, and you'll want that data in your two, three, and four to help influence decisions and, and and give you, you know, keen insight into things you got right and things you got wrong. And so I think for any entrepreneur, you know, obviously takes vision, takes usually a couple of key partners and, 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 and you've got to you know with any business in my opinion make sure that you're building a system that can handle the data.
0: Hmm. Interesting. And when you talk about data there, there there is a lot of it how do you know what 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 like generally what are the things you need to be focused on like cost to acquire a customer average lifetime value like what what kind of data like that kind of stuff or
1: in our business specifically yeah i mean we definitely want to figure out you know which HVAC units, for example, are going to be the most efficient over time, right? Um, what type of home and what type of weather? Think about, you know, our business. We have 80,000 homes sitting out in the climate all the time, right? So what climates are most conducive? What are the things that, you know, my our our challenges, for example, in Arizona are far different than our challenges in Chicago, right? Where you get colder weather in the winter and you got to think about furnaces and things like that. Where in Phoenix it's really dry and so. How do you manage that from a landscape perspective and how do you make sure that you're you know, being environmentally friendly while running a great business? There's all those things that come into play. And so to your quest, your point around, you know, shelf life of things and cost of acquisition for a customer, all of that is really important in our businesses. And I would assume, you know, many of your, your listeners or your readers feel the same way. I mean, you, you got to spend your time being as efficient as possible, but, you know, driving Uh, growth at the same time. And so it's always a a balancing act. And sometimes you get it right in the beginning and sometimes you don't, you adjust and then you figure out something that works really well. And so it's just about, you know, balancing that out and figuring out where's your best use of time, right? Given whatever, you know, an entrepreneur is trying to build and our best use of time, we want to find a customer that stays with us the longest and ultimately a home and a market and a sub market. That's the most appealing, right? That, that is as efficient to manage as possible. And because if we can line up all those things right in our business, we can have a great you know customer experience which you know always makes your business a bit better.
0: Mm. Yeah, one thing that um, strikes me about yourself, Dallas, and probably the vision and the culture within your company is uh, this element of speed. Uh, would you say that you guys within your culture you have a um, like a high performance culture around speed? In
1: High speed, low drag. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, absolutely. I mean, we want to be smart, but we don't want to, we don't want, we, we, especially in the early days, we knew, you know, we were working against the clock, so to speak, right? We had to get out and get scale and, and, and have it be really meaningful, Uh, you know, quick, quickly. Uh, and and then, you know, you start some of the, you know, the precision management piece of it, you know, while you're doing that. But yeah, speed to, speed to market is really important.
0: Yeah, with that kind of aggressive, relentless growth, though, there is collateral damage. True,
1: can be. Yeah, especially if you're not careful. I mean, like I said, when if you're building an airplane while flying it, then there's there's always a risk, right? That um, that you may miss a step. Um, and and I think we were really lucky in that, you know, while we weren't perfect by any means, we we didn't really have, you know, any really major issues because we we were comfortable in the environment that we were building, right? We knew the asset class. We understood the resident profile and what people wanted. Um, but we were definitely not as efficient in year one as we were in year seven. So to your point, there can be drag if you're not careful, right? Uh, I don't disagree with that at
0: all. How do you know if there's drag, though? Like you, one thing I find interesting is you talk about efficiency, but just how do you know? Like, Because, because like you said, you don't know what you don't know.
1: It goes back to what I said about data. You gotta always be looking backwards. You use regression analysis to to, you know, test your theories on whether they were right or wrong. Uh, be honest with yourself about, you know, what the successes are and they're not, what and what they're not. And then I think, you know, this is gonna sound a little bit cliche, but hire people that are different from you. Like, you know, you, you don't want, you know, I don't want twenty Dallas Tanners around me. I want, you know, people that have different perspective, opinions, backgrounds. Uh, and experiences that help drive their thought process. I mean, there's there are things in our business that come from the apartment industry, that come from you know, e-commerce, that come from uh, social networking, right? Like all of that's feeding into our business today. That's not anything that we thought of initially, right? Um, it's just how do you incorporate some of those successful pieces that are out there in other companies, and then you figure out the stuff that's unique to your own business. You know, and we had to, we've had to. Kind of figure some of those things out you know a great example of that would be you know, like in our homes for example today you know a typical home doesn't have you know smart locks and smart um, electronic features and we figured out a couple of years ago that that this was an easy way for ingress egress for our residents to have smart locks on the homes and then you know through our you know our mobile apps and and through our websites you know our residents if they want that can have ease of use of going in and out of their home the nice thing about that is you think about it from a landlord perspective is we're not changing the locks every time somebody moves in or moves out. You're changing code, right? Mm. And that's that's much more efficient. So that's a good example of where, you know, seven years ago, we were changing locks. Yet in the last two years, we're not cha- we're not having to change locks anymore. We're just changing, you know, electronics, right, and systems that make it more efficient. And so there's value out there. So that's some of the stuff that you don't know that's going to be in front of you, because you know the systems don't exist yet. So, you know, stay open minded that things can change.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Awesome. Well, look, um, we have to work towards wrapping up Dallas. Um, just, uh, two last questions. One, um, where can people find out more about yourself and your work? And two, any parting words of wisdom or anything you'd like to share to finish off?
1: Well, thanks. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's, it's, it's a great story. Invitation has been an excellent, um, case study for, you know, high speed growth in an environment that's pretty dynamic um, you can learn more about our company at invitationhomes.com uh, that's our website there's a lot about the team, uh, the processes the things that we you know feel really uh, strong about um, And then you know lastly I think for any entrepreneur uh, that's out there looking for you know advice on how to build successful companies there's just a couple of things that are always synonymous with good companies. I think one is you've got people that you know with a shared vision in the beginning, stages of anything uh that are working you know side by side and two you, you not only are you working hard but you need good timing you need good luck you need you know a few things to go your way but the only way that those things go your way is if you're head down and and going really hard right passionate about what you're doing if you don't have the passion then you're not in the right space and find something you're passionate about and, and good things can happen
0: love it awesome well look thank you so much for your time um i really appreciate it all right excellent appreciate it man